Hi everybody, I'm T. I'm Ria. I'm Sin. And we are Avagazi Scoop. So we're mothers who like to get together at the end of the week, um, most weeks, and just talk about um, what's happened during the week, have a good event, and have a good gossip session. Um, but also what makes us unique is the fact that we see life through two perspectives, two lenses. Um, the Balangi European lens and also the Pacifica Samoan lens. We also like to discuss um, taboo stuff, stuff that our cultures don't like to talk about. And we absolutely love doing that with wine. A lot of laughs and a lot of, a lot of fighting because some people are jealous. Um, so yeah, so that's us. So have a listen, you can find us on Anchor and uh, Spotify and also check us out on the www.wizwiznet.com and our Facebook and Insta pages. We'll see you soon. Yes, that was Africa Scoop. You can also find them on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Brought to you by the West West Network. Brought to you by westwestnet.com. My name is Cams and you're listening to the Back of the 135 podcast on our show today. She is a journalist. She works for TVNZ for TV1 News. She is the Pacific Island correspondent. She's been in the journalism game for a long time and we talked a lot about her work, about Pacific issues over here in New Zealand. Uh, we talked about the Samoa elections happening right now, the Cook Island travel bubble, West Papua. Yeah, man, it's awesome talk. Really enjoyed this one, guys, and I know you guys will too. So give it up. Please welcome Barbara Drever. Now I can yeah. tell there by that. Yeah. I approve of the long yeah. <laughs> So um yeah, we we've just started. Okay. Um yeah. There's no intro. Oh, <laughs> so thank you, Barbara, for coming oh. to our podcast. Unfortunately I'm so short that I'm trying to see you. <laughs> Man, um I was thinking I was thinking because of the COVID nineteen and the yeah. lockdowns. I think you would be in Samoa right now covering the elections. Oh, yes. Um, I'm actually really embarrassed because um, I've, I'm on annual leave for family reasons. And uh, over the years, I've, put, I've sacrificed so much of myself to my job. And I really had to take this time off for my family for a, for a big um, event that we were having. And I just couldn't not... Yeah. And so I wasn't, I didn't cover the Samoa elections, but I've been watching with interest. And yeah, like, of course, this is a big one to cover this one. 
this is a big one. So it's, and I've been, what I did some training with um, Samoa One, TV One, and so I've been watching their coverage and very proud of my guys. I think, I call them my guys, but they're not, obviously. They're amazing journalists in their own right. But I'm like the proud mother hen going, oh, you guys are rock. You're doing such a good job. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's time for great change um worldwide and now we're seeing the sort of change in the pacific as well so mm. yeah pretty exciting but no i haven't covered it so mm-hmm. yeah embarrassing but you know some things sometimes you have to put your you have to put your family first so that's what yeah. i've done yeah mm. because you know for the longest time i've seen you on tv and stuff on the news covering the pacific that to me that's like a dream job because you're going yeah. around pacific islands yeah like every year you're going to every Probably all of them are. <laughs> yeah, I have been to all the foreign countries, but having said that, a lot of people think, they're like, oh, you must go all the time, yeah. you know. <laughs> but actually, um, I probably go away on average six times a year. Um, but we've set up, I've made sure that we've set up cameramen and uh, stringers, what we call stringers in those countries, so that we can also contribute to the economy and to, to help out our brothers and sisters overseas who are trying to make a, a living. And we don't give enough to, for them to make a living, but it's a bit of pocket money um, for, and I think it's really important to get that on the ground um, perspective as well. So a lot of the time I just can't be there for cost reasons, um, for, I mean, COVID, we've seen that. Mm. Uh, but it's I don't go away as much as people think. But dream job, absolutely. That's my it certainly is my dream job. Mm. I, I, I say that carefully because I know it's a dream job, but that's because no one sees the hard work behind it. Like, yeah. you know, there's the outcome they see, but the hard work behind it, yeah, they might not, you know? it's really hard work. <clears throat> there's been times that I think it's the amount that you've got to pack into a day because when you think about it, it's only like what two minutes on screen, right? And you think, oh, how hard can it be? But you've got to go out, you've got to get the interviews, you've got to get pictures for every single word that you say. You have to script it. And when we're overseas, we have to, I edit myself, so I edit it. And then we feed it back. And sometimes the feeding it back can take a long time. So there have been times that, I felt like I'm going to have a heart attack, you know. <laughs> and in the old days when we used the old um, system, like internet system, we call it FTP, um, and you'd watch it tick along real yeah. slow and you're looking at your watch <laughs> there, I'm going to have a heart attack, it's not going to get back in time. We have something called FTD, fail to deliver. And that's a very bad, those are bad letters to have with your name. <laughs> so, um, and there's been a couple of times we've FTD'd because the equipment or, or whatever's just not quite made it. But most of the time uh, you do it and you and then you'd have to do a live. So it, it's a lot to pack in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love it and it requires a lot of planning to make sure that I, I like to tell stories. I don't just like to get, you know, pictures, a grab from someone, pictures, grab, and quickly write it and, you know, done. For me, it's more, we owe our people more than that. Like, it's for me, it's a responsibility to tell a story and to make it relatable to people. I don't want mums, dads, anyone who's watching, sitting on the couch at home, 
and not relating to it in some way or not feeling an emotion. I, you know, that's a sign of a good story is whether it's anger or compassion or love or happiness or inspiration, whatever they feel when I want them to feel something when they watch my story. Um, and I owe it to the people who trust me to tell their stories as well. So for me, it, it is actually... Um, the weight of responsibility sometimes, um, yeah, it, it can be pretty tough sometimes. Mm. Is it, um, you know, when, so every time we see you on TV mm. doing a story, is that all you? Is that you, yeah. is that you finding out that story and, yeah. and organising so everything? Yeah, um, ninety probably 90% of my stories I bring to the table, like people have contacted me on Facebook or um, email or rung, I've rung around to my contacts or um, I've heard about something and so I bring it to the table. Sometimes um, there's an event, what we call an event-driven story, so it, may, it might be the, the King of Tonga's coronation or, or the Samoa elections, you know, those are event-driven stories, so it's a given that I'd cover it. Um, so, yeah, but it is me, and I find talent and um, I find, you know, everything and try and write a, a beautiful story. Of, not Beautiful is probably not the right word, but um, I like to make a story, a proper story, um, and then it's got to be factual, it's got to be fair, it's got to be all those things. Mm. You, you know, we talked about, you were talking about the FTD, yeah. the to deliver. I think if anything shows now of the islands, I think the Samoan election showed how technology really is at the yeah. forefront at the moment. 100%. Because my dad, and we talked about it last week, he's a YouTube specialist now. Ah. He's, <laughs> he's telling me what to look yeah, up on YouTube. Right. Yeah, Don't because, you love that? Yeah, and, and that's the cool thing because, yeah. you know, I remember you, you've been on, you've been relaying stories from Samoa, Fiji and Tonga and how you said it was a responsibility, I, I can understand that because our parents, you know, they didn't have the advantage yeah. of having YouTube and yeah. and, seeing, and seeing these photos or videos from... Or Facebook Live. Yeah, yeah, stuff it, like exactly. That. Yeah. So when, when you came on, I knew, oh, okay, she's going to be talking about either Samoa, yeah. you know, all these islands, and that's sometimes that's the way that they can see... Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, have That's information right. back to them or, you know, have a part of them put on TV. That's exactly right. It's about, um, for me, it's always about heart. I know that sounds a bit cliche, but um, it's actually true. So um, I know I look like a white girl, <laughs> um, but I. For me, it's about making sure that our people's issues, and sometimes it's issues they don't want on TV. Like, <laughs> believe yeah, me. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. Like, uh, I think there was one, I know, our loyal Samoans are. So yeah. when the rugby union spat with the World Cup with the money in that, oh. it divided our work because we had older yeah. Samoan men and they were loyal to... Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And we, the young guys, we're getting the news from you guys and, and John yeah. Campbell and that. And then, you know, they, they, they really... They, Cause a divide, you yeah, know, for a, sure. You know, because we we thought, well, we we're getting the news, and they're like, yeah. no, no, that's wrong, you know. Yeah, and quite often we'll get, I'll get, 
oh, it's so negative, you know. Well, I'm a reporter as well as the Pacific Correspondent. So as a reporter, I've got to tell what's newsworthy, right? But what I would say is that um, if we don't tell issues, if we don't, you guys understand this because I find the younger generation a bit more um, understanding, I guess, that if you don't, tell issues, if you don't confront it and put it there and bring it out in the open, nothing changes, nothing. And so for me, it's always being about um, putting those issues up, even if it hurts, like mm. it might hurt your, your community, your church, your family, your um, yourself. Like there's been times that I've copped a lot of flack, um, but I'm a big girl, I can cope with it. <laughs> but what, what I mean is that, it's really important to confront those issues and to put them up there because if we don't, nothing changes. Like we live in a pretty dire sort of society some some of the time. Not all that we also live in a beautiful society, but there are times that there's racism, there's um, people, you know, issues with. Um, scam artists like um, I've been working on this pyramid scheme that's been affecting a lot of our communities here in, um, is that there with the Tongan community it is the Tongan but that. then it's spread like so it's yeah. also in the Samoan community it's in the oh. Tuvalu community um, and after we did that story I've got like lots of people saying oh this you know it's here it's here and there's so many so many um, and that enrages me because we don't have a lot of money. And the people who are putting in, a lot of mums got caught up in this, who hardworking mums who, you know, they're saving money for their kids' school fees, et cetera, and they were told, you put this in, you'll get fast money return. And and they talked a big game and they got lured in. And it was easy. I've heard the, the luring in and it's very convincing. Oh, um, I saw the video that you yeah. provided. Oh, and it went on for like an hour. Yeah. Like, it's so disgusting. <laughs> no, it just makes me angry. Because it makes me furious. It makes me absolutely wild that when people rip off other people, um, there's there's just no excuse for it. And I don't care what what the nationality is. It's just wrong. Um, so I do a bit of that. Um, so sometimes, yeah, the issues that I have to cover aren't that pleasant. But you know how I always do it is that if, so, say, it's um, a big health issue, I always look at, okay, so how how is our community dealing with it and you can turn it into the strength. So what might be a negative issue is the strength of a community. You know, this is how, what we're going to do. This is this is how we're... And you can show really good um, pacifica on telly doing good things, even though the issue may be negative. And that's got to be good. It's all about normalising putting our people in mainstream and not in a courtroom, <laughs> yeah. you know, like not in a police car, like not just that, like let's, and so that's how I try and deal with it. And so a lot of my contacts are people, amazing humans in the health department, in health PHOs and, you know, all over the place, schools, uh, these young people, the bubblegum, I think they're called the bubblegum um, group, they're amazing. And I'm all, you know, always in awe when I meet people like that. So the issue may be negative, but you know, it's what you do with it that can um, make a difference. Eh? Mm. It's that Pacific Island um, collective that's our strength uh, that, that you're talking about. Like, yeah, I mean, that is our strength. And, it is our strength. Yeah. And if we can find a way to channel that to yeah. do good things. Yeah, but at the same time, I won't back away from 
big issues. So there it's that balance, eh? But yes, you're right. It's we're a collective. That's how we work best as families, as community. Um, it's also it's also our downfall sometimes, but yeah. it is our strength. And if we can work that, then gee, we're good people, and it's good for New Zealand to see that. I think you know how you said, like you know the Pacific Island like collective and that. Mm. If you hadn't um, exposed that that permit scheme, I would not have known about it. No, you know, the thing is because we were talking about there can be a negative as well because a pride might have been. What would stop these yeah. guys from coming up? And because yeah, I don't think any other mainstream would have said that they wouldn't have had that, like their hand on the pulse, or would not yeah. have known about this thing until yeah. you had brought it up. Yeah, because I got approached by these women on Facebook on yeah, my see? professional yeah. page, and they're like, "Barbara, we saw what you did with the passports. You know that Samoan guy who took the passports off the overstairs and charged them money, and and can you do help us with this?" Um, and it was a very brave lady, actually. I can't, obviously can't name her because she wanted to stay unidentified. Um, she she kept saying, we've got to do it because my friends, family, they're all being dragged into this thing and it's got to stop. And so just by putting it on, um, it made people aware of it. And then right. even I make a policy of not to read Facebook comments generally just because there's a lot of nasty oh. people out there. And, um, and and a lot of them, not I'm not talking about um, Pacific Islanders, but if, you know anything you put on the, the One News Facebook page can... Yeah, so just, I always tell the young reporters, don't read yeah. the comments. You know, just be strong in yourself and what you're doing. However, for that I did because I thought there might be new information coming forward, and, and there was. So, um, yeah, and a lot of people were like, see, hey, and tagging someone else, see, I told you this was a scam, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it was good. That was really um, good. It's in the public interest so that's how I kind of do measures and one of the things is is it in the public interest yes yeah that certainly was mm. it's not just about impact and for me I don't care if my face is on the tv or not I really don't I couldn't care less quite often um a lot of my stories won't have me my face in it right it's only if I can add something or show something then I will or if I'm doing a live cross um, but really, um, oh, I just don't care about that stuff. I'm too old for that stuff. <laughs> I just want to tell the story. Mm. Do, do you agree that, you know, we're talking about the Savannah um, village mentality and how we can channel that to, mm. to, to give positive things in the community? Do you think, um, if, if, to me, it feels like that when positive things happen, it's only in. Events, different events, like, it's so and true. then it dies away, then another yeah. event comes. And I'm guilty of that too. Like seriously, um, yeah, that's absolutely right. There are lots of positive things happening, and they just don't get aired. And the the bottom line is, we need more Pacific people in mainstream to tell their stories because there's only one of me at One News, right? And I can't fit every like I have a list now of a story. I've got. I've been on leave for two weeks. I have a list of stories, about 20, 20 stories that I'm far behind on. A lot of people have come to me with, Barbara, can you? And it's like, uh, I probably don't have time. And then I do a Pacific update as well. I do my, um, which only goes online. It's a Pacific news bulletin I do once a week. Mm-hmm. And I put that together. I write it, I edit it, I, you know, I do everything for it. So I'm really busy. So, yeah, you're right. There's not enough. And it's not just... On me, it's on it's on everyone, um, and you're right. It's sort of like the easy hits, like music, 
Yeah. <laughs> or but there's so much there's so many cool stories um i was at new zealander of the year the other day and um there's this guy from christchurch he's a barber like he's cuts hair councils and it's all about um um violence domestic violence he's he's amazing i went up to him afterwards i said I want to do a story on you. I'm going to come down to Christchurch and do your story. You're amazing. And he was a finalist, you know. And it's stuff like that you you don't really hear enough about. Um, yeah, 100%. 100%. And print should be doing more. You know, all the media should be doing more. Um, but they don't. Because I don't think it's a lack of contacts. It's a lack of caring, maybe. They just don't care enough to, to do it. But that's probably why I think podcasts are important. Because, you know... You, those little stories that get left out can be covered mm. if people bother to do something if about they it. Yeah. To do it. You've mm. got to, you know, you've got to want to do it too. Like, mm. it's a lot of my stories that I push for. Like, it's not easy to get a story on the news. Like, I have to fight for pretty much everything you see. So, how much of a um a, a bottleneck do you have then? Since it's well, just one of you. Then. Yeah, a huge <laughs> bottleneck. Yeah. Um, but. I'm a nasty piece of work and everyone at work knows it. So when I say there's a story that I want to cover and I need to cover, then it the they're pretty good with me. Like I'm very I don't very seldom be told no. Um yeah. Because, you know, if it, if I come to the table saying there's a good story, then there's a good story. And some of my favourite stories have been not about the big issues, they're just little like they involve one person and doing amazing things. Um, I think my favourite story of all time was that Tai Kami. I don't know if you remember her. She's a little Tongan girl, um, and she had cancer. And um, I'd followed her, done a number of stories on her. She'd been here in New Zealand for treatment, and they'd had to raise funds for her because she didn't, you know, wasn't a New Zealand, you know, citizen, all that sort of stuff. Um, and she did, um, she, she wrote this amazing blog and she was a composer and she inspired so many Tongan people. She must've been about 14, 15. Oh my gosh. And, um, I was in Tonga for the uh, coronation of the king and, uh, she, she was, um, dying and we heard, um, her auntie who's a friend of mine, actually Remy and Sipara come come to the house there's going to be something big happening today so we were the only media there and uh, our Tangata Pacifica were there too <clears throat> and what well, we worked sort of very closely together um and they they were there I know I was there and cameraman was there and we're sitting on the floor in the next minute and she's lying in her bed and um next minute the king walks in and it was very rare for a king to walk in to a commoner household and he gave her a medal and he she played the song to him that she'd played Walk On, Walk Strong. And it's a beautiful song. And he started to cry. And this was a king who had been made quite a lot of fun. People had made fun of him and, you know, he was very sort of British yeah, sort of and yeah. quite, you know. Um, and I was sitting on the floor very close to them and I my... I was thinking at the time, there are lots of things going through my head, and one is I'm watching history being made, seriously. Like, he, this king is here in this house. And and um, afterwards, you know, I interviewed Tai, and um, she actually made, I just cried. She was the strong one. I, I was the one who 
like blubbered like a baby. And um, I went outside and interviewed her dad, Taholo Kami, and he said to me, you know, she said to me, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I said to her, well, who am I to make you stay? And I tell you what, it, that story, um, ah, oh, man, it just, for some reason, it's really touched my heart. And about three weeks later, my uh, cameraman, the same cameraman I was with, Tom, because we swap around, you don't always have the same cameraman. We were in uh, Newwear for the uh, forum, Pacific Forum, and we were sitting at having some quick lunch at the cafe, and they had them radio on, and they started to play Thai song, and I can't stop. And they, they announced her death, and we just sat there, and, oh. and I actually uh, cried. Um, and it still has the ability. I, I'm st- friends with their par- with her parents now, and they live in Fiji, and um, they run a, a cancer um, thing, a cancer association for um, parents whose children are sick. And it's very hard for Pacific families because there's not the facilities that there are here. And they offer support, moral support, and they run their children around the hospital there and help the parents. And they're just um, amazing people. So, yes, it's times like that you – and that wasn't a massive, you know, like that. It's not a cycle. It's not a – but it was – it's a story that's probably touched me. It's a story I will remember forever, you know. It's oh, yeah. amazing I I can't really um, you know I, I remember the story, mm. but I just didn't. It was we didn't. I didn't know it's the background. Years, to the, yeah, yeah. It's many years ago now yeah. too. It must have been. I can't remember. Like maybe it was two thousand and nine, or it, it could have even. And then of course the king. That king died. I mean I've been up there for two kings' funerals and like. That and and every time I go up there, it's oh man, you know the Tongans they do this ceremony like it's incredible, um, and to be a part of that. And there's been times I've watched the the I call it, I think they call it the cataflank, and it's that big, it's like this big. Um, it takes like two hundred men to lift it, and the the the, the coffin's on top, and they walk up from the palace up to the burial grounds. They walk up the throne. You can see them coming from... And the first time I saw it, I... Oh, man, I tell you. And, you know, they can't falter because they will die. If that falls on, you know, they will be crushed. And on top of the... You know, and they've got the guy who's leading the way and there's so many, you know, they've, they've got... Oh, it's just... It's seeped in tradition. And I always think... It was at that moment when I watched it and I was like, man, I'm privileged I'm privileged. This is not even. This is not my culture, and here I am, and that is the res- weight of responsibility to make sure. I think I wrote one of my best scripts ever was with that, that because I I really felt the weight of responsibility, and it was beautiful, and the the respect and and to be able to bring that to mainstream New Zealand and show how beautiful it is, and um, was. Oh man, it just meant something. Meant something good, eh? It was really good. Can we still see these stories online? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I must check actually. Um, <clears throat> um, I must check because you know the online is weird. Like sometimes our systems are a bit weird. But I think so. There's a lot there. 
Um, I think the the latest, the ones that I am still heartbroken over are the, the Samoan measles stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I still feel a bit guilty. And I came out with a, <clears throat> you know, you have to, you as a reporter, you just go and cover it. You, you've got to stay focused. Um, we're, we're not, it's not about us, you know, it's about our, these poor people, they're losing children, you know. So there's no room for a lot of emotion mm-hmm. um, if you're going to do your job properly. you just got to swallow it, you know, get it together. Um, but, <clears throat> um, you know, it was hard. There were a lot of dying children and we saw a lot of death. And um, when I came back after doing two trips up there and um, I was quite devastated by what we saw and then we heard that we'd been to see this mum and she'd had a baby who had measles and she immediately took the child to the hospital and the child survived and she was, her story was please take your children to the hospital now she had another sick child when we were interviewing her there's another sick child there and we're like um is your child all right oh yes it's all right we're just giving natural medicine it'll be all right or we'll t- if they get sick we'll take them Anyway, um, as we're walking out of this little compound, there was three other houses and these mothers came running up to us. Please, you've got to help us. You've got to help us. Um, And it's that role when you're a reporter, but you've got to help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we went and had a look and there were three extremely sick, dying children. And they could barely breathe and you could, we knew like they, it was bad um, and so what we did is we quickly but not immediately so we're interviewing the you know the mothers did real quick interviews I said let's just quickly get this and film them and as we were looking at it, I said I think we've got to wind this up like they they look like really sick now these guys had no phones because there's no phone service up there right it was up in the middle of nowhere and uh, they had no there was they're not allowed on the roads and they had no vehicles anyway and it, because it was a lot you know the two-day lockdown so no one's allowed out on the roads no buses so they couldn't the get trip. their children yeah. so we jumped I knew that there'd be a Ministry of Health team they were coming around to give vaccinations so we jumped in our car and I said we've just got to go and so we raced down and we're about 10 minutes out of the road going down the road going like the clappers thinking we've these kids are sicker than we thought and we see the the Ministry of Health coming up this team of bus and so we j- I jumped out of the car and I ran down the road and stopped them. And I said, you've got to come, you've got to come. And um, took them up to this house. And they looked at these kids and they were like, yeah. And so this guy, he jumped in his van and he he was the team leader. And he went 20 minutes to get the court, make a call to ring that for the ambulance to come. And so we filmed it all on the road. But of course, we never said that we went and helped because that, come on you know it's a bit of that's not about us like yeah. you know there's some reporters who would have but yeah. you know that's not how I do it like um and so it was and so they took these kids away and uh we found out that and feeling quite pleased because the kids survived we heard to my my friend Ramey another reporter friend who I work with because you've got to work with with the locals, the locals on the yeah. ground because they know the you know they're, they're better than we are um and 
uh, she writes, Bob, they've survived, you know. Oh, oh, thank goodness. You know, gosh, we did something special that day. Mm. No, because we forgot about the child next door, the sick child next door. I forgot. I completely forgot because we're so tied up with these extremely sick children. We heard that child died. And I felt so guilty and so bad. Um, so bad, yeah. My cameraman told me that he'd mentioned it to the, that there's another child next door, but they were so intent on helping these two very sick children. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, you got to deal with stuff like that. So I came back and I was a bit of a mess, you know. And whatever I am, I always think, well, imagine those parents, you know. So many children, over 80 children dead in this one country. And what a disaster. What a disaster. And I guess with that burden or with that knowledge and what I saw, um, during COVID, I was really scared for our people, like really scared, because I saw how quickly the measles spread, mm. and uh, it, it, it could have been so bad for us. <laughs> it could have been so bad. Because of the measles, do you think that in Samoa, like the reaction to the COVID? Sort of yeah, over the top, completely, 100%. It'll be a long time before they open their borders, would be my guess. Although, I mean, depends what happens with the government, doesn't it? Because we don't know yet. But um, people are very conservative now. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that happened that shouldn't have happened is that they used to have these women's groups um, and the nurses would go to the women's groups up in the villages, different villages, and they'd check the children, you know, check their tooth, their teeth and their um, hair and, and everything and, and give them their vaccinations. And it was, you know, but that was all taken away from village, the villages and taken to the main hospital. Now, a lot of people didn't have the money to get from their village to the main hospital. Mm. And so a lot of the kids weren't getting vaccinated. It wasn't that easy. And sometimes I think our traditional ways, the way we do things, is, prob is there's a reason for it. And I, I think that, you know, it would have been better if, if it hadn't been taken out of the women's groups and the nurses. Was this ever brought up? I mean, because yeah, it was. I did a story on it actually. I was um, pretty wild about. It. <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't me being wild about it. it was um, mentioned. Someone mentioned it. I mean, I was like, "Are you serious?" Mm. Like, that, you know, we, a lot of people. It's it's such a so divorced from your your people because you it, these people they they live so far up and people saying, "Oh, they should have called for a you know why didn't they call for an ambulance?" Well, they didn't have cell phone yeah, service. Yeah, yeah. They've got a phone. There's no cell phone service. They're not allowed to, even if they had a car, they're not allowed to be in a car, but they, they would have broken the law to go, to go sure. Um, but there's no buses. You know, it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> and I just think sometimes, you know, we forget how people live and how people are and, yeah, and compassion and just working, going back to the traditional ways in some areas, not in all areas, but in some areas would be good because those women knew what they're doing. You know, um, with just going back to the elections, yeah, you know, you've seen Samoa 
you know, over the time that you've been covering. Yeah. Pacific Islanders, 10 years ago, five years ago, did you think that this would be No. On, this would happen at all? No, I didn't. Yeah. Um, and even this time, um, I've been caught a little bit. But I mean, I knew that there would be more seats given to opposition because they're, they're sort of feeling a change in Samoa and... Um, there's been some pretty weighty issues that, and I think when you change big laws, especially laws to do with land, um, it, I won't say it's, pro- it's problematic. It, there's always going to be big issues. Land is our soul. Just, yeah. <laughs> Without the land, um, where our ancestors are buried and you know, we are uh, not who we are, like, that we need that land, it's part of us. And so when that started to be meddled with, um, I, yeah, it it wasn't surprising to me that there was a change. But what was surprising to me was that it was so big. Um, But then... You know, I always say to myself, if I ever think something's going to be, I never try and predict things too much because whatever I think, it's the Pacific and it'll be the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) So so you're a mug. If you think that you can like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be. Well, you're probably not. Fiji's the worst for doing that. I used to do that. You know, you'd, you'd say, no, no, I think it's blah, 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 blah. And it would be the complete opposite. So as a young reporter, you learn pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> to not... You can make an, an analysis, sure, but just be aware. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the results, and mm. it's quite funny because there's quite a contrast because Upolo, you look and it was all, I think, um, all blue. Yeah. And then you went to Savai'i. Yeah, and it was, I think they won pretty much every set by two. That's right. Savai'i yeah. did really, really well. Um for oh, I've been calling them the opposition, but I suppose we don't know if they're the opposition <laughs> yeah, yet, yeah, right? Not just yet. Um, yeah, that was that was really interesting too, because when the results started coming through, I was like, Savai, yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on, um, maybe because um, I don't know, maybe that because they're sort of on the outer a little bit, um, maybe it's got to do with. The villages and what's happened there. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. I, I thought, well, I kind of thought maybe the um, the government have promised these guys so much, but they've always concentrated on bullying it. And, and I think, yeah, I think they might have just got fed up and thought, you know what? No, we we We're need a change it. because I think if there's any with the meeting with the land in that, yeah, it's, it's gonna um, it would really affect a lot of people in Savai. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of those ministers though uh, lost their seats. Like, you know, it's a real, I think it, I'm not Samoan, so I, you know, I'm sort of, but what I would say is that that's what elections are for. The people speak. That is the time. If you ever think your vote is not important, we're seeing an exact example mm. and of why it is important, right? So I've been watching with so much interest going, oh, and, you know, they're still doing the, there's still the counting is still you know it's still going on and well then there's going to be the kingmaker (laughs) who knew he'd be so important certainly not him yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh it's it's going to be edge of your seat stuff um 
And, you know, it doesn't matter who gets in. Uh, they're going to have to deliver. Yeah. They are, because, you know, once you get over, say say um, the opposition gets in, um, there's, the, the hero status has got to go. Like, you've got to, you know, the, the honeymoon will be over pretty fast, and then you better deliver. Um, the same with, um, I guess, if Tuila Epa comes back. And, you know, I what I would say is that, you know, he's been there a long time. And my firm opinion, and this is no, I'm not judging Tuila Epa at all, um, but what I would say is no politician in the world should be in politics for too long because they just get too comfortable. Um, and I think that, and it doesn't matter what side you're on, Politicians, yeah, they're not my favourite people. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the headline, he said he was the second. So he was the first. Do you know who the first was? I saw the headline said he's the second longest serving prime minister in the world. Yeah, I don't know who and the first is. In I fact, I thought he was the first. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's gone to more Pacific forums than I have, <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> like, um, yeah, he's he's been there for so long. But mm. no, I'm actually maybe it's one of those um, you know cool leaders. Oh, you know, <laughs> that, that is my guess um, because generally speaking, uh, someone who's voted in. Um, but you know, there's the system in Samoa um, leaves a bit to be desired in terms of who can stand for politics. Mm. And you know, I'd like to see that um, that change. I'd like to see not just Matthijs being able to stand um, because we're coming to a time now that People need to be represented. We need to, you know, our people need to be represented. And that's not just in some areas or some sectors, you know. So I'd like to see um, that change. You know, uh, when it comes to the amount of seats in Samoa, mm. Samoa is such a small country, but you've got 50, <laughs> 51 you know, seats. Do you think that's a bit... It's pretty That's steps. quite a, a few for, for yeah. only two two islands, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, but, but when the population's... You know, relatively in most Pacific countries, there's a huge number of politicians. Yeah. Don't ask me why. Yeah, yeah. They're just as, and the Cook Islands has got a huge number, and they've only got like seventeen thousand people, <laughs> yeah. and, and their parliament only meets ten times a year. Because always worried about being overthrown. So I mean, you know, so Samoa's doing all right, yeah. but yeah, I uh, look. It's just the way it's been divvied out, and uh, you know, I. I'm not. I'm not a politician, and I'm not a Samoan. So, but maybe that's something that um, they'll never look at it. Yeah. No, because yeah. that means they'll do themselves out I of a gonna, job. I was going to say that. I mean, what, yeah. what a great time to be a, poli- a brave you know. politician yeah. Yeah. to yeah. cut back yeah. the number yeah. of seats. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to give yeah. myself. I'm going to sack myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just thinking how interesting the whole thing is with the elections in Samoa, because for the first time. There's been drama yeah. in the election, and it's funny because you know we've just had Trump. real drama. We just had the Trump drama over there in the yes. States and all yeah. that. And True. now someone's having a little bit of their little fun. Is it a sign of the, of the times? Thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, I think people have Sorry. got braver, and um, with COVID, mm-hmm. um, and more concerned about what's going on around them. Um, and so I think maybe that is part of it as well. I think you're right because, yeah, you're right because COVID has actually put society into a corner. Really, yeah. Like everyone's on lockdown. Everyone's 
thinking more about their family and around, yeah, around them more. That's right. right. Yes, yes. So, yeah. And then when you do when you do that and you got locked down to make you think <laughs> about things. Yeah. You got to think about all this all this stuff. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, you know, wouldn't it? But plus, if you came out, say you are back into Auckland because of COVID, you would have lost your jobs. Yeah. Things like that. Mm. Anyone that's going to offer you a pretty, you know, because fast they came up pretty cooking fast with their mm. promises as well. And, yeah. You know, I, I was watching the live stream and they um, connected free Wi-Fi to one of the schools and I think it was Eva or something. Right. Yeah, me and my dad were watching and he was like, I'm going fast. Okay. But, <laughs> I'm based on free Wi-Fi again. But, you know, because that's, that's where he's from. He's from Savati too. You know, and he was, he was quite vocal with, you know, he he's, he was stuck with his old school view because he's a, he's a Guil Epa guy. But yeah. Because... So that is where his heart is. Yeah. He wants what's best for us. Sure. So, you know, it's if we're, you know, talking about it like this way, mm. I, I I feel for I really feel for our parents that didn't have a chance to go back yeah. and, and, and cast the boat. And be a part of it. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. they, my dad would, would have loved to be there, be a oh. part of history. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's, and so, so that's the, the downside of It is the downside COVID. to COVID. And also there's other downsides in that, I think governments around the Pacific and um, Samoa's no, no exception is have put in some pretty weighty rules and they're getting away with it. They're calling it under sort of COVID, oh, it's our COVID restrictions, you know. And there's no need. Like, so for example, I, I believe Fiji still got a, um, a, a curfew. Tonga's got quite strong um, rules and and I just it's actually um, for people it's slamming down on their rights and Pacific leaders I find um, they're quite conservative and covering all these forums and stuff you know when we had Baini Marama the big coup leader if you ask me there wasn't a Pacific leader amongst them who didn't secretly wish they had the same kind of and had dictatorship. An army, had an army behind them like <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is my personal opinion is that I, <laughs> I, I could tell that they were all like a little bit envious. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, as a woman reporter too, um, they're used to me now, but, you know, it's pretty tough gig sometimes. And they, uh, when I was, you know, what I have found is that there's a lot of laws being passed that shouldn't be, that isolation is actually being worked to not a, in a good way. And the accountability on the world stage and with the Pacific stage and on the regional stage um, isn't really there at the moment. And so the sooner that all that comes back to normal, the better. Um, but, of course, safety is first. You know um, how you were talking about these restrictions and that. Mm. What's your view on the one about us not opening up a bubble with, um, with the Cook Islands? I agree with it. I agree that we shouldn't open the bubble with the Cook Islands until um, I was up there a few, because I, I have a Cook Island stamp in my passport so I can travel to and from without mm. quarantine. Yay me. <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm widely hated in my newsroom right when I came back. <laughs> Nobody would talk to me because I came back a little bit tanned. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but what, you know, um, when I went up there, the vast majority of the people weren't, didn't want the borders open until it was safe to do so. Now, 
having said that, I've got a huge amount of sympathy for their, their, their number one earner's tourism, more than any other Pacific country. Oh, but close to Fiji. But it, Cook Islands is huge up there. I think it's like 85% of their GDP up to that much. Um, so a lot of people in dire straits. But they're getting a subsidy and they're, they're being helped as well. So it's important at open, but they weren't ready. And they can shout and scream from the, the rooftops, but our medical, our team of health experts were up there and they could see it wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. I could see it wasn't ready. And you, sure, there's no COVID here. Like you think, okay, we're great. Let's open the borders. So you have to plan for the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So say someone goes up there in the plane, infected. So what are the steps that will happen? And when you've got those steps worked out and it's, because there will be a case that I'm sure that would get up there, right? So, But as long as there's processes in place, it can be dealt with, right? So as soon as it's ready to be open, and I don't believe that it will be May, is my personal opinion after seeing what I saw. Uh, I hope it's soon, but I don't think it's going to be May. But it needs to be done safely because we've got elders up there. We've got, there's, you know, the, the health system is not mm. great. Um, and it needs to be done properly see i wouldn't have known that because the way you know the, i know the, because the news keeps correct the, and, but news, not and mine. Mykoski, <laughs> yes. Mykoski keeps telling everyone that uh, Cook Island's re- yes. <laughs> <laughs> <I can. laughs> yeah. yeah we won't because i tell you what um there's a very vocal tourist operator group up there and they're amazing and they do great work and they are incredible what they do they've done everything right the these guys, they're really, and gals, they've, they've worked so hard to try and make it happen. But they have been let down last year, not now, because the health department's moving real quickly, as quickly as it can, to do all the stuff they're meant to do. There's a list. New Zealand's given them a list and said, you need to have these done, and then we'll open the border, right? But they didn't do it last year. Um, and I do feel sorry for the tourist operators because they've come up with suggestions. They've, you know, they're mm. really they've done everything they possibly can, knowing that their livelihoods are on the, all their workers, you know, um, and they need to open soon. They do, uh, so I have every sympathy. But they're very vocal, and they always have been. If there's a dinghy outbreak, and I report on the dinghy, they don't like it. You know, oh, you're going to affect our tourism. Um, so they're very, very vocal. But it's one perspective and you have to look at the wider picture. And the wider picture is they're not ready. But hopefully soon, mm-hmm. yeah. So does it answer them giving them more money to, yeah, to fill I out mean, their hospitals? To, I, to well, I think... Put um, money into the hospitals? It's not so much... So they had... They leaked a whole lot of doctors and nurses last year. They've just left. Um, so they need for a number of reasons um, and it could have been prevented. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're having to rebuild. So they're bringing in some people from Fiji. There's all that stuff. So there's stuff that we can't actually help with, but there is some stuff that we can. And get, sending a team up there perhaps to help with their COVID tracing, um, the, the lab, getting stuff sorted would go down a treat. Like it would just be so helpful and it would make it go faster. But my feeling is that probably um, they're just worried about resourcing here in New Zealand. Um, 
but yeah, we've got a. I, I really genuinely feel that it would be good to send a team up there just to give them a hand mm. because they're, you know, they're in dire straits and it needs to open, but safely. And so I'm more conservative than some of my mm. colleagues um, <laughs> who actually don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. They don't. They haven't been up there. They have no idea. And for them, for a lot of people, it's about being anti government, New Zealand government, and it's if they can take a swing at the New Zealand government, let's go and do that. But it's not about that. It's about... Lives. It, it's about... Mm. Yes! Mm. You said it better than me. Yeah. That's oh, exactly right. So then, what does the Ardern come out and just say it? Like, just say it. The reason why was because... Of she, this. So she, she started, have, yeah, just recently, in the yeah. last... When the Cook Islands Prime Minister came here um, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, um... And he announced some things that possibly they weren't ready to announce. Because I, I think that the May date was only something they were going to work towards. And he's announced like it's going to happen. Um, and so since then, I think she's announced a couple of things. And he also announced that the vaccines were going to happen in May. And that's actually not true at all. That's absolutely not true. We don't know when the vaccines are going to happen in the Cook Islands. They will get our Pfizer vaccines. They are going to get it. But we don't know when we're getting our vaccines. Mm-hmm. So we don't know when they're going to either. That actually wasn't true. I heard Ardern no. say we're last on the list because we're a low-case COVID case country. Yeah, um, I still think we need to roll it out a bit quicker. Yeah. I, I, I do. I think you know, it kind of felt like when the, um, the Cook Island Prime Minister came, this all the headlines were like he was trying to force Jacinda's hand. He was. And but the thing is, now that we know that he's trying to force the hand because he's being pushed by the tourist the yeah. tourist group. Yeah. He's risking the lives of of all the. I, I didn't he's, look at it. He's like changed that. his rhetoric a little bit yeah. since then um, um, to safety. But yeah, that 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 was exactly what happened. Mm, pretty sad. What What about Fiji? Because I know you have a pretty. Your history in Fiji. Up and down yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and on again, off again. That's where you got That's right. Yeah, I've had a lot. Because, like, so my, just to put this into context, my mum was one of 12 children, right? And they all married in Kiribati. So um, that's where I grew up. And so they married different. Like, they, some married Kiribati, some married Solomon Islanders, some, uh, one married Fijian. So I have Fijian cousins. I have Solomon Island cousins. I've got cousins everywhere around the Pacific, which I'm very proud of. And um, so I've been going to Fiji since I was a little girl. Like, you know, because to get to New Zealand, you had to come through Fiji. So, you know, when, so we, because I lived there, and so we used to come, you know, backwards and forwards. Um, and I do love Fiji. It's a, it is a complicated, it's like an onion. You take a, it's more complicated than Polynesia, right? Melanesia is much more complicated. You take off a onion layer and there's another one, you know, just like the top one. And then you keep going, and there's all these layers. It's very, very complicated. Um, and, yeah, so I I love Fiji, but, like, I've been there for the coup. I was there in a hostage camp when George Spate took the parliamentarians hostage, and I was inside that. I got myself inside that camp, uh, and I was inside the camp for about three nights, and it was pretty dangerous, and in the end we had to make our escape because we felt – I started to feel – I was there to report, but – um, after a time, oh no, two nights I think, it was very dangerous and these guys tried to break in 
we were in the dining room. That's where we were sleeping. The reporters, I was with the local reporters, and I was working for radio then. And these guys from the village who um, were they weren't the guys in balaclavas and the machine guns because they're more in control. These were guys who'd come up and they got they were on Carver and then they knew that we were in there and they decided to try and break in and um, do what they were going to do to us. So lucky the kitchen staff who were in there with us had brought in their husbands to help protect. Um, so we they put up these big um, you know these big forms that you sit on up against the door to stop them from coming in. Um, but and you know it got to a point that we were told that they were the George Spate and Co were going to use the media, and they were going to execute and hostage, and we would be the witnesses. And you know it's time to go. So we made this plan, and we put over because they were watching us um, through the security cameras and we put these big, uh, like jackets over the security cameras so that they, you know, in case, and then we had this talk, quick talk and we just said, look, we've got to get out. How we do it? We'll just walk out to it. They're not going to let us out if they think we're not coming back. So we'll just go out like two or three at a time and just like stagger it. Um, and when I walked out, I went with a couple of mates, um, and we'd like, I was, you know, real casual, it's the best act of my life, and I said to the guy, oh, we'll see, we're coming back, we're just going down to get some clothes, we'll see you soon, you know, and, you know, I remember this gun pointed at my head, and I was just, keep walking, smile, keep walking, um, so there was that time, but then, um, then the, there was the coup, and in a coup, you have a dictator, right? And the dictator has a handbook. They all have it. <laughs> they all have the handbook on how to be a good dictator. And one of the things they're going to do is stop the media. So they censored my local friends who are all in the media there. And then uh, we pretty much knew, I pretty much had an idea that the people who, not normal journalists who just go up for once and then don't come back, but people like myself who go up all the time, that we were going to be on the hit list. So Michael Field, myself, he worked for AFP, myself, and Sean Dorney, who's the ABC correspondent in Australia. And we were all good mates because we are the ones who are always covering the issues, like the foreign journalists going in and covering the issues. So the first person to get deported was Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was put into a sort of a hotel room um, and then he was deported. The no, I think uh, anyway, and then Sean Dorney got deported as well. Um, and again, same sort of scenario. So I, I, two of them had gone. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's just a matter of time, I think. <laughs> and so also, I was quite, I was very, I wouldn't say the word brave, but it kind of was because we'd be in the military camp and Baini Marama would refuse to take questions. He was a military commander back then, right? Refused to take questions. And he'd be in his, you know, and I would always yell out, you know, you know, ask a question because you can't let them get away with that. Even though we were in a military camp, and and uh, I always remember one of the local journalists saying to me, "Oh, I'm so scared when you ask a question," <laughs> you know, um, because it was scary times. Like it was real scary. They're all armed soldiers. They, there's no rules. They're beating up journalists. They were. Um, one journalist recently 
died as a result. He'd been hurt, like beaten in the camp. So they were taking people into the camp and smashing them and um, intimidating them. Um, and also, like, any of the youth who were standing up against them, uh, they were taken up. Uh, and you never heard from them again. They were let out, but they were, how do you put it, psychologically um, uh, hurt. And they never spoke up again. Very few of them did. So we were working in those circumstances, and I made... Um, I was there with two, a cameraman and an SNG operator. There was a big satellite operator um, thing that we took up in those days. We don't anymore. We don't need it. But uh, So there were two guys, two cameramen and myself. And I went through and I knew as soon as she put my passport in, it goes, oh, Barbara, um, <clears throat> you've been denied entry. And so I immediately rang my boss and I said, I've been, you know, I had him on the call the whole time. And I said, well, what's going to happen? And she said, oh, I'm going to send you to a detention centre. And I said, I'm going to be sent to a detention centre. And he goes, put her on the phone. And so I gave the phone. That's going to make no difference. She's just doing her job, yeah. you know. And he was like, you've got to let, you know, what's happening? And uh, anyway, what happened was they took me to a, in a car and to this place and it wasn't a hotel it was a detention center <laughs> the great you know open the door the, the gates open big metal gates and we went in and then I was taken upstairs um to these rooms and they it was horrible because the, the doors couldn't lock and there's just this window in the door um but I could come out and go to the bath there was a bathroom there and um, for some reason, they hadn't taken my phone off me, so I had my phone. So I rang every <laughs> single person I knew. Um, I was pretty worried, um, and I got a call from someone saying, we've heard that, we've been debating whether to tell you, um, but we've been told by a military guy that they're going to come and get you tonight, so take you to the barracks. Um, so I got myself ready. Physically, mentally, I, put, you know, put on my trousers, some trousers, and I put my inhaler because I'm an asthmatic in my pants, because um, I know what they do, and I waited, and every time I heard the of the door, the the gate, I'd run to my window and climb up to look through the bars, and I'd see if it was a military car. And uh, to make it worse, there was this girl in, in one of the other rooms. And I'd heard her talking, I assumed she was on the phone, a Korean girl, I think. And then she'd been taken off, not, little, I had not known, but she'd been taken off the plane because those Korean airlines came in all the time, um, that she was uh, having some uh, psychotic episodes. And so during the night, when I'm lying there terrified, um, I heard this, uh, she was outside my door, <laughs> you know, talking like that. Yeah. And so I had my plug, I've done a hostile environment course and I know how to defend myself pretty well. And I had my plug. Like, you know, with the prongs, and I thought, she comes in here, she, I'm going <laughs> yeah. yeah, to attack her. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll make sure that nothing happens to me. Um, so it was pretty a horrible night. Um, and little, I hadn't known, but I had rung foreign affairs as well. I'd rung everyone. And they had tried to get a team in to see me um, and had been denied access. 
and that goes against the Geneva Convention. So the next morning, I was still there, and I thought this is a good sign. Um, and they were, you know, the people keeping me there were really nice. Fijians are lovely people, and they they were very polite, and you know, they weren't horrible at all. And then they actually put me in the car and to, to take me. Well, they said to the airport, but I was still scared. You know, I'd been told. Um, and so I'm thinking, <coughs> please, God, let it be the airport. Please, God, let it be the airport. And then they drove me and we drove into the airport. And I was, oh, and my camera crew were waiting there. Fiji TV were waiting there. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade representative was waiting there. And he let rip at the guy saying, you've breached the Geneva Convention. Oh, how dare you? We take this very seriously. And... Um, he asked me if I was okay, and I was—I needed water. I was really thirsty, and um, but I was all right. And he asked me what had happened. I told him, and then I—this guy from Fiji Airway Airlines came out. He was like the head guy, and he goes, "Mr. Driver, we—we'd <clears throat> like to—we're going to upgrade you." <laughs> Oh, and it was so sweet, and it actually nearly broke me because I was so, I was so tired. I hadn't slept all night, and, and I got on, taken onto the plane like a criminal, you know, in front of everyone. Um, but fortunately, I was taken to the front of the plane, and they, and I just, I was like this. It was like that movie, you know, that is it called Argos or something like that, where they go and rescue the hostages, and they're sitting on the plane, hoping that it takes off soon, and it. Yeah, yeah, that Ben Affleck, that one, and I kind of felt a bit like that. <laughs> It was ridiculous, yeah. like it was fine, I was fine. Nothing happened to me, I'm fine. But it was all psychological. Oh, but you'd been given the, I mean... I'd been given a, the heads up. But I'm glad it did show that. And then I realised what it's like for people in prison. Because you have that taken away from you, that right. And it was the first time, and I really freaked out. For about 10 minutes when I was in there... I thought, I can't go anywhere. I can't go to the shop. I can't. And I really like, for, and then I was like, Barbara, get yourself together. This is ridiculous. Pull yourself together. You're a strong girl. Like, just, you know, come on. But it did make me have an understanding, even though it was only for a night, what the mental sort of trauma of being not of your having your liberty taken away from you and i'm glad i had that i think that happened for a reason you know you know when you just said that like when at at the moment mm. was it like you're outside your body looking at looking at yourself yeah and thinking to yourself yeah it was. oh that's how it feels yeah and then coming back and then yeah. Oh, yeah it's gonna happen yeah because I, I, I can really relate to that yeah and that's that's a powerful thing to do because that's i think that Man, that's like, because you know people, a lot of people, they could, they can fold in those kind of situations. Yeah, right? and, and break we, down we, and stuff. I've been in lots of, lots of situations where, and I know, um, I'm not the person to fold. But you don't know until you're confronted with something. You actually don't know. Like I had no idea that I would be that person that could deal with any like I've had to deal with attacks I've had to deal with um there was that time in Tahiti we were it's going to sound 
we were in Bora Bora and we don't often get to go to play nice places. Usually I'm doing like running around doing, but we're actually doing sort of tourism stories, which never happens, like never. It's like the one time in my entire career. And we heard the screaming. I heard the screaming and I looked up and I saw this lady, Japanese lady, and she was running. And when you panic, you go to tunnel vision. So you don't see anything on the side. You are focused straight ahead. And she was going to the guys who were giving out the towels at the hotel. And I knew immediately that someone was drowning. So I start left, my guys were on the beach, like a cameraman and uh, the tourist guy, and I just started running. These two pool guys ran past me. They're amazing. And there was this like jetty. So it was like a jetty here, jetty here, and then a boat. And these guys ran to the end and they dived over the two jetties and the boat and they swam out to get this guy and they were bringing him back. And his wife was hysterical. And and I was like, no, don't bring him here. Take him to the beach because we'd never pull him up. We'd never be able to get him up. So they took him to the beach and I was waiting at the beach and then started CPR. Um, and they didn't know how to do CPR. So I said, um, go and you know, ring for the ambulance. And so I started doing the chest compressions and then my cameraman came running up. Now he's a stronger guy, so he, we just swapped. So I was, we were doing, did it gave him CPR, but he'd been out at sea for probably at least twelve minutes without oxygen, um, and we started his heart. <clears throat> we we started doing CPR for another good fifteen minutes, um, and it was horrible. Like I don't know if you've ever, you know, you see it on telly, but it's not like that. Like it's. It's like a water, you can hear the waterfall in the chest, like it's like a water in the chest and he was frothing and these days you don't do the mouth one, you just, but I didn't even think about it, I was just doing it and the t I still can, t you know, oh, it was horrible and we just worked and worked and worked on him and it was funny because, you know, you're talking about that out of body experience, so I was like, in between breathing, because we do 15 and then I'd do two breaths, and we were counting him down. And I was yelling at Rob, my friend who runs Tahiti Tourism at that time, <clears throat> go and get, get a towel, because I could see his wife was, she was going hysterical like, and she was all white. So I noticed these things in the midst of this. And I said, get her a towel, get her a towel. And then I'm talking to her and keeping her calm. It was just the weirdest thing. <laughs> anyway, we suddenly, boom, felt the heart but he was still unconscious um, and we didn't know what to do at that point like because he's still unconscious do we keep going but lucky this guy came and don't like but it was a, a convention for gay doctors from the US <laughs> and it was this guy oh. this doctor came running up yeah. and he he put him into recovery and we just left them to it and then we took the went to the lady and we were just comforting her and I said she, he's alive you know, and then they all left, right? So then uh, we were in quite deep trauma from that experience and actually I just cried and uh, it was horrible. And the, the doctor came to see us and said, actually, uh, he probably won't survive because that's what happens, like, because he's unconscious still. He's... Mm -hmm. Anyway, came back to New Zealand. About 10 days later, I got a call. And this guy had been flown to Papaete and he was on life support, you know, and his, his wife was with him. And it was my friend Rob. And he goes, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah. And he goes, he's waking up. And he wrote his wife's name, Ayuko, on her, thing, on her palm of her hand. Like, you know, so she knew he, he was here. 
because um, of course he would we thought he'd be brain damaged if he did wake up and um and he recovered and so Rob said do you want to come back up so and I'd been having nightmares hadn't slept hardly slept since that incident so I took my son actually with me and we filmed he had a little camera and he filmed it and we met with them and it was so heartwarming because Aoko saw me and she came running towards me. Oh, and, we, oh. you know, we just had this moment of great hugginess. And <laughs> um, and he, of course, had no idea. And he looked like a zombie still, like he was all white and um, and he could barely walk. But anyway, they went back. To, I'm glad I went because it was closure for me. I wish my cameraman had come back too, um, but he wasn't able to make that trip. Um, and then we got an email from them. They'd got someone, they didn't speak English, they got someone to translate, and they said there was a picture of them holding tiger bear, fireworks going off behind, and it basically said he was back at work and thank you for saving him and that he's well now. And so, but uh, I brought that that long winding story, sorry, um, up because you don't know how you're going to react or what you're going to do until you're confronted with it. Yeah, just do. Yeah. Yeah. A pretty amazing woman there, uh, Barbara. You Not all the time, <laughs> and sadly. <laughs> Only sometimes. You know, you've had a, a gun held to your head. You know, that's... Was that the scariest part? The one where you said you had to sneak out of that? Um, when you were... When those, yeah, when I think that was... I think... Um, Actually, that was one of them, but, you know, I had to walk through. Um, my work wanted us to get um, George Spate to have the first broadcast, live broadcast with him, and I had a satellite phone in those days. We didn't have our, you know, it was old school, 2001 mobile phones were virtually non-existent. Um, so I, I had to walk through all the guys, and there was like probably, I don't know, it felt like 120 of them or all through, all sitting there listening to, and I had to walk through to get, I said to the soldier, the, you know, the militia, I said, is there, with George, but I need to talk to him. Um, or Joe jo Nato is the media person for George, but I need to go and talk to them. So they led me through, and it, it was the freakiest thing because it suddenly went, they're sort of talking to each other, it went, pin, you could have heard a pin drop, and they're all watching me, and I felt very insecure like really quite scared um, because what you had then was a lot of young boys, 19, 20, and they'd never, they'd lived from the village, they'd, you know, very traditional, hadn't not experienced, and suddenly they're in this camp high on testosterone and kava and this is exciting and they're part of this big movement. Um, and I knew that the guys with the guns, ironically, were the safer ones to be around than not the guys, yeah. So that was probably a really scary moment. And I've had many scary moments I can't even begin to tell you. Um, there's been times, <clears throat> yeah, there's been some pretty bad moments. But, yeah, you just get through them and hope that you don't fold. You know, one thing I see a lot on Facebook, and they say it doesn't get enough exposure i i don't really you know much about it but there's this free west Papua um yeah, movement yeah i don't i you know i see stuff it's, and i see that it's a this it's is a tragedy it is a tragedy and we don't do enough about it and one of the reasons why we don't so basically there it's it's 
an Indonesian Indonesians taken over that country, but they're they're, they're Melanesians. So there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. They're Pacific Islanders. They're not Asian. They're they're Pacific Islanders, um, and so they're fighting for independence. And they should never have had it. It was very badly taken away from them and and the UN's got a lot to blame for this for it's a big long it's, it's not cool what's happening and they are being um victimized they are being tortured um and we don't do enough about it but the reason for that is there's very little footage or information coming out and you have to be careful too because sometimes groups on Facebook as you know um make up stuff mm. and so for example there was this picture of this woman lying dead on on the ground and it was to do with it said something about West Papua you know she's been killed tortured turned out this woman had been run over in Papua New Guinea and it was someone had taken that photo. So you know, so you have to always be really vigilant. So we don't do enough on West Papua. We don't, and that's to my shame. Um, and that's something I'd like to change. But it's and it's getting a little bit easier with social media because there are um, there's more a little bit more footage coming out. But man, um, it's it's a it's a tragedy. Because I, I see the photos, and you've got um, Indonesian yeah um, soldiers of soldiers standing over yeah bodies yeah you know um, massacres massive pits of bodies in there, and yeah. I'm like in in the back of my head, I'm like, I wonder if this is true. How come we don't we know about it? Yeah, you know? we've done I've done a bit on it. We've done some stuff. We did this amazing story for online, which uh, myself and this woman called Natalia at work, who you know we 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 did this story and it was pretty amazing um, on it. But yeah, we don't do enough. But it's it's more because it's verifying information and it's also getting the pictures. Television's not like print. Print's no no excuse. You pick up the phone. But for us, we need pictures to go over my words. So it's there's some stories that I think are really good, but I won't do because I don't have the pictures for it. Um, we're picture-driven and it's, the, we're a bit shallow the like that. Believing kind yeah. Of thing, yeah. yeah, but also we're a bit shallow. That's why TV's yeah. a bit shallow because we, we work to pictures. Mm. But it's also hugely impactful. That's why I love television for our people because we're all about the colour and we we are pictures. Like, you know, we, we, we're visual um, and I just think – for us, TV is really good, but make no mistake, TV is a bit shallow in some ways um, as well because we are dependent on the pictures. Um, yeah. How, how dangerous is it to go over to um, Papua? No, West, very. West so, um, well, you can't. You you have to get a. You'd have to lie. They don't let journalists in, so you'd have to lie and say that you're. You'd have to either pretend that you're doing something else, but you'd have uh, be accompanied by um, people. Um, and the second thing is, uh, you, if you were going to do some proper reporting, you'd have to go in um, undercover, and that's extremely dangerous. You'd have to go like an aid agency. It's extremely dangerous. I, I wouldn't. I'm I'm too old for that stuff now. Like I'm sorry, no. Um, yeah, it's it's not um, easy, and that's part of the reason why there's very little coming out of West Papua. The, but you know, hope my dream is one day that will change. Um, yeah, needs to change. And the problem you, you've got is that Indonesians put in a lot of money into governments, like as <clears throat> a big trading partner, and so governments are less inclined to criticise. So several times at the Pacific Island forums, this issue has come up, 
Um, and some of the island nations are saying, yeah, no, let's sit. like, especially the Melanesians, so they're like, no, we've got to do something, you know. And then you have countries, other countries who get a lot of aid from Indonesia who go, I think we should be a bit cautious about how we word it. And so, yeah, it doesn't get the airing it should. Mm. There was a, you know how you said, like, the, the our media were a um, picture-based mm. thing. I don't know if you heard that story about Vice. Vice recently, they had a photo, they had photos of all the people that were part of uh, that were executed or part of the genocide in um, oh, Cambodia wow. but they photoshopped them smiling do you hear about no I wish we had a fat chick in there Yikes. and I thought that's what because if, if you listen to our past um, episodes on and some of the guests we've had mm. got, kind of got a, like a love-hate relationship with the media because yeah. we like people like you who you know you want to you, you, you're based on the facts, but, you know, you're, you're relaying stuff from back home. And then you hear, hear about stories like that. Yeah. You know, and then... I know there's that, a the, lot the mistrust of... mistrust um, kind of... Kind 100%. Of, and I get it. And, um, you know, there there's good journalists and there's bad journalists. It's like in any in, in any industry, accountants, lawyers, you're going to get get the good and the bad. Oh, lawyers um, maybe lay, 80% yeah. on the... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that high. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Um, yeah, so there's layers of journalism as well, and there's people who are different in how they approach stuff. Um, but you know, for us at TVNZ, um, we go through several checks and balances. It's not just me doing the story. So we have, um, for example. We always get subbed. We have a story producer who works with us. The story producer works with several journalists. There are several meetings. If you, it's a planned story, then it's been discussed several days before. It's in the list. We have a meeting in the morning. It's discussed then. And people have an input into suggestions. Um, these are for the most mainstream stories. Most people don't have many suggestions for me but um, because they don't know the community. But, you know, so every so often they'll come, oh, Barbara, what about this? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, so... And and we fact check. We've got lawyers in house who check. Um, we have a story producer who will look at the story and go, "Now you need this another voice, you know, or you need this, or you, you know." So it is a, a, a robust thing, but you know, you, um, yeah, it's so. For example, um, last year during COVID, right? I named. I said it's a Pacific Island family who has COVID. Right, and I it was a deliberate thing. Like I definitely wanted to say Pacific Island family. Now I knew the nationality of the family and where they lived, but obviously you don't want to target them. Um, and I certainly didn't want to name the community. And I even to this day I still won't name the community, even though it's been the the government. Anyway, we'll get to that. So I named the Pacific Island community because I said Pacific Island um, family. And the reason I said that, and it was really important to me, especially after seeing um, the Samoa, um, is that I don't believe in hiding information from our people. Right. I don't. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, you don't need to know yeah. this. You, no, no, you don't. You don't need to know this. Like, it's not my job to do. It is my job to inform. Um, but I think a lot of people who didn't know me or know my background or et cetera saw it as 
uh, a white girl getting up and saying, oh, naughty, oh, these naughty Pacific Islanders, they're the ones who've started this. And and it wasn't that at all. Like it was, um, it was done for safety. Like I know because I have my own family who uh, live in uh, some in overcrowded conditions um, and in South Auckland and – and I know that they are going to functions and how they share everything. We share everything. And I was struck into a panic as well. And I don't regret that decision. I'd do it again tomorrow. Yeah, I was just I thinking that because, tomorrow. you know, I had this talk with my brother when it happened mm. because he, you know, he was kind of affected by it because he got a phone call and they, were, they, had, they told him, look, you know, you might have been yeah. in contact Close, with that person. Yeah. If they just said this person and that, the part of me wants to know, well, you know, I, I have family there. I'd really like to know what the origins are because we are going to... Yeah, yeah, we're going to cross paths you know, if That's we right. are. Yeah. And yeah. also, it took... This was on the first day. Well, it took the track and tracing team a couple of days to, to get sorted and to start making those calls. And for my mind, I just was thinking safety first. I'm going to alert our community and make sure that they know so that people can start getting tested. Um, I had no qualms about it, and I still don't. Um, but I did get come under a lot of, and, and I, I get it, I get it. I got came under a lot of criticism. Um, I got death threat. I got um, abuse. Um like you wouldn't believe, um, personal messages. Um, I was really under attack. And from some very, not just, I'm not just talking about young bloods out for, you know, just out for, sorry, young guys out or girls out for blood, you know, you know, saying, oh, she's racist. Um, it wasn't just that. There was also an element of a lot of people um academics who felt that I shouldn't have said that and I got to wear that but I stand by it and I'll do it again tomorrow like safety first I we're in a pandemic we're not discussing whether someone stole something from a shop and and I'm naming them going well you know it's this is this is we're talking about life and death here um and I don't really care um you know I've got to make sure that the information gets out so I don't regret it for a minute but Man, it was, you know, the the, oh, it the reveals, attacks. It kind of reveals there were cartoons people, right? done. Yeah. There were I was getting um attacks from all quarters that like you wouldn't believe. Um and the ones who I was able to explain the it about to generally said, Oh, I apologize, you know, I'm sorry. So I did get a few, but it doesn't even matter to me. It was it was just the way of it. It was, and also I was angry because COVID is nothing to be ashamed of. It isn't. It wasn't that family's fault. No, it's no one's fault. You you could catch it. I could catch it tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like it it, it doesn't discriminate. Like so, it's important for anyone can have it. And so I was angry that some people in our community were making it about race, and it wasn't. Um, was about health but the other thing was um, the government of that where that com community where that family was from put out a press release saying naming the country and so, and so that went everywhere as well um, but yeah it was a tough old time and that's just what happens sometimes when you're a reporter, you have to make some decisions. And I took advice from a few community leaders um, the night before when I found out. Um, and 
all the people I talked to said, Barb, you've got to do it. Like it's, you know, it's yeah. safety, yeah. safety first. So I did do it. Um, and then um, some of those people decided they, when the out, public outcry was how dare TVNZ and that Barbara Dreven name, say Pacific Island family, how dare she say that? Um, some of them decided that they they didn't support that. <laughs> but that's just the way, that doesn't matter. Um, you know, that's just how it is. Um, you just sometimes have to be strong in yourself. And um, yeah, and so yeah, sometimes that just happens. Do, do you think there's a tax, whether it be from other Pacific Islanders, that just comes from people just angry at like seeing the bad press all the time on the in the the herald like 100 percent, and and on the tv like like every single crime is always in south Auckland. yes 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 and there's always on paper and i said that to Mm. the people who were attacking me a few of them i i i could sort of see you could sort of sense that a couple of them even though it was really abusive um you could sense the hurt and so those are the people I did reply to, and I said, I get it. You're sick of seeing, and I said those exact same things. You're sick of seeing um, Pacific Islanders portrayed like in a on their way to a police station or in a courthouse. And I said we're we're always we're always like the bag. That's how we're portrayed. So I get it. Um, <coughs> and yeah, that that is why. But it, a lot of the people who were doing the attacking had no idea. They never. They didn't even see what I did like they they didn't see my work they don't know my work they they just heard about it through someone else and then they all piled in and because that's the pack mentality sometimes but yes 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 um I was thinking about like how this is because how because we, we spoke about this before the last episode about about the Herald mm, and not telling, my favorite telling all these stories but <laughs> Is is that because of how how they used to get money through advertising? There's no, no more advertising for I them think, anymore. So I, I think it's more um, to do with your so with reporters, you come to the table with your own stories or you are given stories. So if you've got reporters who have the contacts and coming up with with decent Pacific Island stories. Um, then you're going to get better coverage, and there's just a lack of it in, in lack of Pacifica uh, in mainstream media. End of story. And so what you're getting is that these sort of stories that are just lazy, what I call lazy stories. Um, uh, we are overrepresented in um, a lot of things that we shouldn't be, um, but there's more to it than just that. You know, and so that's what happens. We need more. That's what we're trying to nurture young Pacific Island journalists into our medium. I mentor a couple of people. Are you seeing a a rise in um, people that are... I'm seeing a rise of extremely intelligent young Pacific Island people. um, But not Not necessarily into into media. Um, There's a couple who um, are exceptionally talented who I've had the... um, privilege to come across and they they've been doing some work for us and they're amazing um 
you know, it's about representation as well. So at the moment, we're lucky at TVNZ. Like One News and uh, News and Current Affairs, we we represent. Like we've got Indira, um, Starcutter on Fair Go, Adrian Stevenon is um, Samoan. He he's like second in command on the Sunday Show. Tati Urali, he's like one of the big bosses at One News. Right, he has a lot to do with the stories. Um, so we and we've got a, a couple of cameramen too. You know, and and I just think. We're getting, you know, it's good. The more we can bring in, the better. And there's some young ones coming up who I've got my eye on too. It's about mentoring and helping them, like giving them passion because our job, you know, we contrary to popular belief, we actually don't get paid that much. <laughs> you know, it's and so you've got to really love what you do, and you it's got to be a reason for you to go to work and want to go to work. Um, and so if I can instill a bit of passion into some of our young ones coming up, then that'd be great. But unfortunately, other newsrooms don't have that diversity. Mm, you know, sad. we have other platforms now, and you see a lot of... Uh, like yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, you've got people who do Facebook Live. Yeah. A lot of... I noticed that a lot of um, islanders have really Big been on drawn Facebook. to that. Yeah. yeah because they... You know, yeah. instead of putting it through mainstream media, yeah. they've got the you've got the um, I think there's the Pacific Brothers that they came that uh, a lot that started in the garage and now they sh they they've got shows coming on you know, Sky TV. You know, that's you know, right, and they're doing it in the garage. Like, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I I think that there is a lot of um, room for that now. Technology has mm. allowed that. Um, I I don't know what it is about Facebook, but. Pacific Islanders love oh. Facebook. Like, and, you know, they say, everyone says, oh, you know, Facebook's going, it's dying out, you know. And it's just like, you don't know. <laughs> everyone I know is on Facebook. Um, and I think it's too because it's about connectivity with um, friends and family in, in the islands. Certainly it is for me. And also I've got so many friends around the world and, and a lot of them in the Pacific. And for me it, it's just genuinely wonderful to open my page and see such good stuff from my friends and um, and I've got a professional page too which um, I've had to keep separate because I you know my personal page is for friends only and you know family and um, but I've got a professional page and a lot of people contact me on that professional page and I like sharing stuff on it that I see there's so much good stuff coming mm. out and talented people um there's that must be Tongan's um, Facebook page. Have you seen it? It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It is actually my favourite page <laughs> of all. And I use a lot of their stuff in my Pacific Update because, well, stuff that I've seen on their page, you know. So I have my funnies at the end. Pacific Update's not just about news. It's about, I have, like, nice scene around the Pacific. I have funnies, um, seen, I call it videos of the week. I've got all sorts of stuff on there. It's six minutes of, like, Dive, like all sorts of different stuff, um, whether it be a bit of singing, a bit of some dancing. I've got the hard news at the top, and then it sort of changes into the biggest fish <laughs> caught in New and You know, it, it it's wonderful. I I love doing it, but it, it is a lot of work. But you know, I remember watching a TED talk, and it was Patrick Gower, and he, and he started off by saying the media is dying, and then he went on talking about. Um, fake news and stuff and how he started and all that and then he talked about at the end he, he, he mentioned um, he thought that um, they're not talking to the they're not relating to the people anymore because they're, they're 
they're islanders, they're Pacific Islanders, they're they're Indians, they're Asians, and 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 the people on TV reporting are not, they yeah. don't look like the audience anymore, yeah. especially the young people. Yeah, like we don't even get the young, mm. the young people. It's, it's true, and mm. and that's why we've got we've got a couple of. Um, Indo-Fijians, uh, Indians who work for us, not just necessarily Indo-Fijians, but um, Indians who work for us. We've got some Asians, um, and it's important because, especially at TVNZ, we meet to reflect our communities, and I, I don't believe we do. Um, most most organisations don't. We're getting there. I think we're better than most, um, but it's true. It, it's it's not only the looking like. I mean, do I look like um, half Kiribas? Probably not. Um, it's more about the contacts and the heart, I think. And if we can get more of that, then that would be a good thing. You know, um, just touching on that, do you think that's maybe why, because especially during COVID, there was that big upsurge in people believing in the conspiracy theories, mm. the 5G mm. thing, and it's mm. the vessels, it's the people that are mm. taking it. Oh, like you had that Billy TK guy. Yeah, you know, and, get me started. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just saying mm. because it wasn't coming through mainstream. No. So when you think you've, got, you've, you've stumbled across something, everyone just went crazy. Yeah, and I, I knew no. I knew it gone, I knew it had gone, like, it really hit the fan when, when someone burnt, uh, tried to burn down that 5G tower, oh, you know, no. the, the supposed... But there's but... nut jobs everywhere. And unfortunately, um, you know, social media has its downside as well. Like, it's there's stuff that happens that I don't think should happen in social media, but it just does. And, um, yeah, that's the downside too. While it can be wonderful, it can also be a curse. Um yeah, but yeah, get vaccinated people is all I'm going to say. Like, yeah, I'll be like, I want to be first, I'll be lining up, well, <laughs> you know. My brother's, uh, he was telling me that they're up um, at the end of the month or something. Yeah. Because so, he's a frontline worker, he works yeah. with youth. So, you know, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear. Yeah. You know, because that doesn't get enough. Um, if you see, like, if you watch, a, watch the news or listen to the radio, you know, mostly it's about not people not getting enough. Or, yeah. But, when he said that, I, you know, I was relieved. I was like, okay, you know, I'm, it's I'm good glad. to hear. Aim. Yeah, that, that, that it is getting done. So it is getting done. Yeah, um, poss- possibly not quite as quick as we'd like, mm. but it is happening, and we are lucky enough to be COVID-free here too, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're able, there's a big concert next week. I think that's the six sixty concert. This one at Eden Park. So let's not make that the super spreader. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> But aren't we lucky that we can have these concerts and stuff, yeah. eh? Like, we're really lucky. We can yeah. show it off to the world. Yeah, well, I yeah. see on social media, like, certain sites that I finished, I, I follow on Instagram and that, mm. they're like, oh, look at New Zealand, they've got these big raves and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, like, um, you know, you know, sense of pride this year. Sense yeah, of pride. We've we done it right. Yeah, we know? did do it right. Yeah. We did do it right. And, and one thing I will say is that Pacific Islanders – we're very good at doing what we're told. We had the highest testing rates out of any group when when we had that that happen last year. Um, we just we're really good. <laughs> we, we're good people, and uh, I was really proud. And yeah, but I feel proud too. I'm I'm just like you, like you know, New Year's Eve. We're the only there's 
I think there were three countries in the world that had fireworks being let off and two of them, they weren't allowed to be there. It was only on TV sort of thing. Um, and we, so we were the leading the way and I had all my friends in, uh, overseas going, wow, you guys are so lucky. And I'm like, we're lucky because we 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 had a good strategy. <coughs> the country had a good strategy and we did well. We did the, we did the hard time and... Um, and we're also small and isolated, so that really helps as well. Have you yeah. thought about running the book? Yes. About all your experiences? Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I lived and worked in the Cook Islands for eight years as well, so I've got lots of good stories to tell. I own my own, uh, half own my own newspaper, and so lots of stories to tell. And But it's the time. Yeah. <laughs> I've got no time. <laughs> but one day I will, yeah. yeah. It was funny when we were talking about Michael Field and, we were talking about the elections in Samoa and, and and how how so how tired it is at the moment. And in the back of my head, I was like, "That's a Michael Field book right there." It if is. There was a, absolutely. It was because when he came, because you know, he said you're you know you know him very well. He came in. I hadn't seen a ring binder in years. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> even know that. And he came in. Right. Yeah, and he'd come through and Aww. he was going through his notes, and I went, "Man, this this feels like." Um, Okay, you've just made me feel bad now. <laughs> no, I'm like, man, this was just because I remember that's how I look. You know, yeah. form, this reminds me yeah. of Form Five form History. Five, yeah, yeah. yeah, got my little dividers yeah. there, and, and I thought, you know, he knew where, like, yeah. hey, he knew where to go. He's no, like, he's oh. amazing. Yeah. he's got good contacts and and also good um, <coughs> good notes, and he's written some amazing books yeah. as well. I really love his books. He's he's clever. He's very disciplined. I think you need to be disciplined to write a book. And, you know, I have trouble juggling my life and what I do as it is. So, um, yeah, but it's definitely on the cards. Definitely like to write a book. And, man, I'm, I'm not going to hold back to there's going to be names. I will Uh-oh. name some of the stories. I'm yeah. going <laughs> to yeah, bringing it out. So, yeah, one of these days. You know, when you're a young kid, um, I'm going to assume you read a lot. Yeah, you love to write, um, man. Because you know, writing is a big part of being a journalist, though. Yeah. But man, that that passion for it, like, you still obviously have it. Yeah, I um, still love it. Mm-hmm. And see, I should have left and gone to work in um, communications or PR and earned a lot of money. That would be nice. But I, I just can't bear to to leave what I love. Like, I love what I do, and I think it's important, and I think it makes a difference as well. well. I, I think if you weren't there, I, a lot of the the Pacific Island countries wouldn't be held accountable because we have, yeah. there's no, like you're saying, like Fiji wouldn't know, we wouldn't know what's yeah. going on with Fiji. And you know, one news plays in, I think it's 21 different t- TV stations across the Pacific. So, well, I, I remember watching. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching um, TV One News when I'm sitting Someone, in Samoa. That's right. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. oh, so the Blues lost again to the Chiefs. Yeah, so like, yeah. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> yeah. that's when you wish you weren't. Didn't no, have well, it there. <laughs> I wish I wish I was here for that. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah no, it's, it, no. that's what's so cool. Like, yeah. Although, just the links that New Zealand still has, you know, people, I, I think people outside of the South Pacific would not know how how tight the ties are between mm. New Zealand and how much of an influence that we that New Zealand does have on yeah, the South Pacific. It does. Like, I think one thing that I've noticed when I've travelled around the Pacific is New Zealand is much more liked than Australia. Um, and during the coups in uh, the Solomon Islands, you know, there's um, 
they had a civil war there and it was pretty volatile. And we used to, I used to always make sure I wore a hat with a Kiwi on it because we were liked and the Aussies were widely hated. Um, and for quite a good reason, to be fair, like there was a bit of racism in, in, uh, amongst their, their, their guys. Um, but they'd see you and they'd go, Kiwi, Kiwi, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they loved our um, Kiwi soldiers who were up there helping to keep the peace. Um, so I'd always make sure I wore one. I was quite lucky because I had um, cousins on both sides of the militia. <laughs> so so they put, you know, as protected sort of thing. But it was, yeah, it was pretty volatile times there too. How, how come, um, I know Papua New Guinea has a, Australia has a big influence on them as well. Is that because they're closer to yeah, them? 100%. Yeah, 100%. And also um, Papua New Guinea has a lot of resources, like, um, it's a very rich country resource-wise um, and unfortunately uh, the people haven't been the ones to benefit from that but Australia's gone in and they have a lot of business interests there and uh, they do put in a lot of aid to the country um, and they do come to the rescue when they're most needed. So at the moment there's a COVID crisis in Papua New Guinea. People, they reckon that it's possibly as many as one in three people could have it. Um, and so Australia sent in teams, medical teams, and they've, they've taken vaccinations over as well. Um, it's an absolute crisis there. It's really sad. You know, as a Pacific correspondent, um, are you concerned or interested in um, the Chinese influence out there? Very. Because yeah. I think COVID has like, taken that story away from yes. everyone's minds um, now. And I've done quite a lot of stories on... Um, the Chinese influence in the Pacific. I've done quite a lot over the years. I've done quite a few. Um, And it is a big issue um, because of the different way that the Chinese work in the Pacific. Um, And they're very uh, incredibly clever um, people um, and they play a long game um, and... I think because we're going to have a shortage of resources in the years to come, um, it is going to be a big issue. So, for example, last year Kiribati swapped from Taiwan to China, diplomatic allegiance, and uh, we also saw the Solomon Islands um, swapping. And Kiribati has the... It's EEZ is... um, three and a half million square kilometres and it spans all four parts of the globe. It's the only country in the world to go north, south, you know, it's on the equator. Uh, And the fishing resources there are huge. And also the issue that you've got in Kiribati is that it's this maritime borders uh, with the US. And so it's a very valuable place. Kiribati um, and now uh, the Chinese influence they've offered to de- make you know develop help develop and there's nothing wrong with that it's good but it's got to be managed well and it's got to be for the benefit of Kiribati not for the benefit of China but you know it's got to be said that Kiribati has been alone for a long time. Where's be, where's the US been? Where's New Zealand? And New Zealand puts in a bit of aid into the, into Kiribati, but our relationships should have been stronger. Um, and China, to its credit, has you so know, well they've gone, yeah. yeah, they've gone. We can help you. We'll give you this. 
and um, and we'll be a development part, a good development partner for you. And so I have fears, grave fears for the future um, for our little region. Um, but at the same time, you know, China were the ones who stepped up. Hmm. I see. My, I see. Michael Field has been getting a close eye on the on the fishing. Yeah, there's very. I've got very grave fears about the fishing. Um, fishing situation um there's these big motherships that are parked outside and they they uh, can have a, as many as 11 12 in the one country and then all the persainers come up and they feed in their fish into that mothership and they go back out again and and our seas are getting stripped um and uh, there's money being made from it, but it's just really got to be managed well. And the problem with COVID is that a lot of our waters aren't being monitored and surveillance, and a lot of those fishing boats are turning off their, the naughty ones are oh. turning off. So, you know, there's a lot happening in the Pacific. And, but I think, I think we need to wise up. And, yeah, I've got some pretty big concerns about with what the future might hold. And the last thing we want is an issue like the South China Seas in our backyard. Um, we don't want that. We do not want that. Um, we do not want conflict in our yeah. backyard. We, we took we took quite a bit about uh, the influence that China has in Samoa. Mm. You know, every time I go back, although Samoa's looking, it's got a flash new airport and, you know, you see the new buildings and that. It's just a different type of aid. So yeah. New Zealand does more developmental aid, like put money into projects, you know, as opposed to like farming projects or um, business or, you know, stuff like that. Whereas China puts money into the big ticket items like a stadium, a mm. police station, a, you know. A, courthouse. Yeah, <laughs> courthouse. Um, and and sometimes, this, and they bring in their own workers, they bring yeah. in their own materials, Um and it's good for China, but not so much. It makes the politicians look good in that country, and you know they can. It makes them look good because they can say, "Oh yeah, I brought, you know, stadium is amazing. You know, I you know, brought this to the table, sort of thing." Um, but nothing is in this life is free, and mm. uh, you know that's not what aid's about. You aid comes with usually with strings attached, mm. so. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Samoan elections. If there's a new, if there's a new government, and the deal's still there for the for the Chinese, you know, yeah, it doesn't change. No, I mean it's up to that country. It's up to the new government um, as to who they will support. Um, you can only support one or the other. You can't support both. You do deals with one, or you do deals with the other. Um, Taiwan seems to focus more of its aid around agriculture, uh, farming, sort of those. They're a bit more gentler, I suppose. Not, um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's interesting times for the Pacific. Anyway, it's been lovely talking to yes, you guys. Yeah, yeah. I've really <laughs> sorry, I've talked too much. No, no, I? No, I did no, warn no, you. No, <laughs> I did, Bob. Yeah, no, no, you have to catch you on the you know, because there's so much. You know, we didn't we even touch on the fact that you're a Westie just like us. Oh, and, yes. You know, How could we not? Yeah. How could we miss you that? Know? And, and yeah. From the class, you know, with the legends like you, Ronnie. Yes, Ronnie. I remember Lodge. we had a guy uh, the same year, but apparently he was just as good as Ronnie. His name was Timo Tungaroa. Yes, 
I know. Well, I, of course, I know Tingle. Yeah. Tingle's at our school too. Yeah. Yeah. And he I, was very good. I, and I remember the stories about him, you know, because we all went to St. Yeah. Ch- St. Giles. Oh, yeah, yeah. St. Giles over in Such Tiedertu. a nice guy, too. Yeah. Yeah, and now I just—it's funny we didn't even touch on stuff like that. But I'm sure you know the next time we get you back in. Yeah, definitely. I just have to say, just listen to you know, thank you so much, but just how amazing and how strong you are. Oh, you know, thank just you. The, that means a lot. All the things lot. that you went, you know, I'm telling you, like that that situation when you said you were in the the, the teaching center. Yeah. And you, you could see, you know, like that—that's you one, like you know, they they try to break you down. Then you can see how easily they. You know, we talked about all these people that supported, that were against um, mm. my brother and that, and yeah. how they he managed to break them mentally yeah. from putting them through their situations just to hear your story and then having. I've never had a gun held to my head, so I, <laughs> I can't can't even fathom or come close to what you've been through. But thank you for sharing. Your I wouldn't stories. recommend it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and avoid that <laughs> yeah. at, at, yeah, at, yeah. at most, you know, at, at, every, at every cost. But yeah. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Um, it's just nice to talk, to just talk, just chat. Mm-hmm. It's a great thing you do as well, both of you. Thank you. Very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we just hey, like you said, we just we just love listening to just learning yeah, more. Yeah, but no, it's more than that. You, you're very clear. You're very good interviewers, both of you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, very good interviewers. So Thanks. it's more than that. You put people at ease. It takes a certain skill to do that. I know because I recognise it when I see it. Mm. So well done, guys. Thank you for having me. Cheers, bro. Thank right. you. Another whiskey. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>